When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode number 247 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today we're going to talk about a bunch of games that went into overtime at the D1 level. We're going to dive a little bit into D3, and uh, we'll talk about one game at least out of the D2 landscape. The crazy game of the weekend, though, the one that we'll talk about first was the number one Virginia hosting number four Maryland that game went into overtime but before I get into it as always be sure to like subscribe hit the notification bell so that you're notified when we put out more videos if you're an audio listener please share the podcast with your friends rate or review the podcast if you watch or listen on Apple Podcasts, we could absolutely use some more ratings and I know a lot of you just don't do it because who cares for the most part and as always you can go to laxfactor.com if you have any team gear needs we uh, we have uh, dye sublimated uh, apparel uniforms reverse shorts, all of that stuff designed by me, printed in the U.S., uh, cut and sewn in the U.S. and everything like that. So you can go to laxfactor.com, get a quote for your team gear needs. And now I'm going to shut up and we're going to get into talking about this very first game here. Number one, Virginia hosting number four, Maryland in Charlottesville. Now, both teams toyed around a little bit with owning the lead in this game with neither fully committing to, you know, to kind of burying it and taking it fully. Uh, that resulted in overtime and one of the best games I imagine that we're, end up, we're going to see here all year. Uh, the action was insane. The bulk of the insane action came with under three minutes to play and then into overtime. Uh, just a, just an absolute killer of a game here. It was Jack Chorus scoring unassisted with 240 left in the game that give, gave Maryland a 13-11 to 11 lead. I kind of thought that might have been the dagger at that point as the Maryland defense had thus far done a very good job of bottling up Connor Schellenberger, Xander Dixon, and company. Less than a minute later, though, Thomas McConvey, he drew a slide dodging on a shorty, finds Connor Schellenberger on the backside for an easy dunk to get UVA back to within a goal. That was 13-12 Maryland with 156 left to play in the fourth at that point. McConvey got freaky once again just 38 seconds later, scoring unassisted to tie things up at 13s. Time on the clock, just 118 remaining in the game. We'll save the drama. You already know what's going on. We've got overtime here. Brian Rupel, the freshman goaltender for Maryland, who's relieving their injured starter here in uh, Logan McNaney, he saved Maryland's ass in overtime with what will probably go down as one of the craziest three-save sequences any of us are going to see in a while here. Evan Zinn comes streaking down the field, got the initial shot off, save Rupel. Makar picked the ground ball up, turned the ball over after picking it up, uh, kind of just tried to flip it upfield. The ball ends up in the killer McConvey stick, and he puts a laser to the bottom left corner. Once again, though, save by Rupel, and at this point, he's on his butt. 
Now, Evan Zinn was on the doorstep. He picks up the rebound, and Rupel kind of comes back up, gets his stick up, deflects the ball off the head of his stick. It's now heading towards the goal. His leg is flailing up in the air. He catches the ball, gl kind of glances off his leg, and saves it. Ball gets picked up by a Maryland short stick D-mid, and we're going back up the other way. Now, on the ensuing possession, it's Braden Erksa who has the ball at X. He finds Daniel Kelly off the right wing, kind of just a crease wing uh, swap of players here. Not even really a pick, just a swap. And Kelly, as he's coming to the outside off that right wing, has got to stick to the outside of the field. He laces one past Noons for the sudden death victory. And then insanity ensues. And Maryland gets to rejoice here in this victory. If we kind of look at the statistics, what we get out of the Maryland side, uh, Jack Corris, the sophomore midfielder, he ends up with four goals off seven shots on the day. Hell of a day for him. Braden Erksa, 2-1. and one. Kyle Long, 0-2. Oh you know, so Maryland's spreading their scoring out as they end up having, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different guys end up putting up goals in this game, and it looks like 10 guys put up points overall. For Virginia, like I said, Connor Schellenberger, quiet right up until kind of the end of that game. He ended up having an assist to, I think, Griffin Schutz late in that game to get Virginia back to within one before Maryland then went back up by two again. But then, like I said, he scores that, that goal off ball was hit by McConvey. McConvey had a great game. He's four and one for five points off eight shots. Probably at this point, McConvey and Sam Handley are, are kind of hanging out as the, the top two midfielders in the country. Obviously, um, what's his nuts from Villanova is right there in that mix. But, you know, McConvey and, uh, and Handley are getting to play at a really high level at this point. And uh, just a hell of a pickup for Virginia in the portal, picking up McConvey from Vermont. And Vermont is badly missing, what, you know, his, his production because he's even killing it here for Virginia. Uh, Schellenberger, like I said, one and two. Cormier apparently hobbled. He was apparently in a cast uh, at some points, apparently this week, he goes for three goals in the game, though. And you see, you know, Virginia just didn't get it done. Uh, Schellenberger, when you keep him quiet and he only shoots one of seven, that's not going to be great for Virginia overall. And even though the other guys did everything they could, it was uh, it was the bottling up of Connor Schellenberger, one of seven shooting, and Xander Dixon, who was one of seven shooting uh, overall. I believe they had Maycar on Dixon, who did a great job. And I, I think a lot of the re one of the reasons you may put Maycar on a guy like Dixon is Maycar can now anchor that defense off ball a little bit. He can be the help guy. I actually think he was the guy who left his backside, who left his man on the backside towards the end of that game that freed up Connor Schellenberger on the on, on the backside for that goal that got them back to within one. Anyway, uh, Ajax Zapatello, Maycar, they did a great job with their matchups. I think Zapatello primarily covered Schellenberger and did a good job, and Maycar primarily covered Dixon and then just played help all over the field and did a great job as well. But like I said, Rupel in cage, the freshman, 14 saves versus 13 goals against on one of the biggest stages he's going to play on until the NCAA tournament has done a hell of a job in spelling McNaney. If you remember, McNaney got hurt, and then it was uh, Dolan, the the Binghamton University transfer, that ended up getting the start against Syracuse. Didn't play great, although Maryland picked up the win in that game, and Rupel ends up getting the starts ever since then, and he's been great in cage for, for the Terps here. Noons, he had a good day. Just struggled a little bit more late in that game. He has 16 saves against 14 goals against. Credit to Petey LaSala. 
like I said, Lasala was going to have to try to split the 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 draws at the dot. He does 15 of 30, so he does go toe to toe at least in terms of the draws at that dot. And but it was Weirman that ends up getting the better of Lasala on the day, thanks to a goal and one assist. He almost had two goals, but uh, uh, Tillman took a timeout at one point late in the game, and that took away a goal that I believe it was Weirman scored. But Weirman goes one and one. Uh, with 50% at the dot. So he ends up winning that face-off battle, and Maryland ends up winning this game in overtime. It, it absolutely bonkers overall. Now let's talk about the next game here. It is number 17, Princeton, at number 16, Penn. This one, once again, we needed overtime to get to a decision here. Now, the Ivy, they actually had a couple of overtime uh, games this weekend, uh, but this was the one that caught my eye and that I actually paid attention to because it was later on at night. Princeton, they took their largest lead of the game off a man-up goal scored by Alexander Vardaro, dished by Weston Carpenter with 11.30 left in the second quarter. That made the score 5-2. I believe that was the largest score either team had in this game. Penn battled back, though. They took their first lead of the game other than when they led one zip to start. Another man-up goal, this time Ben Smith from Sam Handley. That made it 8-7 Penn with 6.06 left in the fourth quarter. Christian Ronda would score with just under three minutes, uh, would score with just under three minutes. I, I keep screwing that up. He scored just under three minutes later off of Vardaro feed to tie things up at eight each with 320 left in the game. Absolute cannon. Dude's out top. Let's one rip. He goes uh, top right cheese on this one. No chance for Emmett Carroll, who actually played an insane game again uh, to make that save. Again, you already know the drill, though, in this one. Overtime is now upon us. Princeton did have a chance to win it in OT. They turned the ball over. I think it was Ronda, if I remember correctly, threw that away. Ball just went out on the end line. Penn gets the ball back with a chance to ice the game and enter Sam Handley. He dodges down the right alley on his LSM. Calmly and just kind of subtly bullies his way into that five-by-five five, uh, five, by five area. He lets it rip overhand, somehow snuck it past Gian Ficaro, who may have gotten a piece of it based on his reaction. He also had a decent game in cage for Princeton as well. If we dive into who did what here, as we see, Vardaro had a solid game for Princeton. He goes 2-2 two and two off eight shots. Jake Stevens, he got one late. Very important goal for Princeton. Uh, he was 2-1 and one on the day. Sam English also 2-1. and one. So the usual suspects here for Princeton, they got it done. We come down and we see what... Penn did. Sam Handley, he goes two and four on the day. Two goals, four helpers off 14 shots. A miserable shooting day for Handley, but he stuck the one that mattered in overtime. Ben Smith goes 4-0 off six shots. Gabe Fury, 2-0. Let's see, do we get any uh, any turnovers worth mentioning? Uh, hey, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Is it Cathal? Uh, Roberts, he has uh, three takeaways. Bo Peterson, two takeaways for Princeton, but in cage, both goalies played solid here. We look at uh, Michael Gianfricaro for Pe Princeton. Uh, he's got 17 saves against nine goals against, so he's really the main reason that Princeton was in this game. Emmett Carroll, he's been playing well for Penn all season long, has been keeping Penn in games. He makes 10 saves against eight goals against. Faceoff dot, eh, fairly reasonable here, so we won't go too well. Actually, it wasn't. If we look at the, what, what happened at the faceoff dot here, it shows, yeah, 13 to 21 over. Yeah, that's not that huge of a of a thing. So we're not going to dive too much into that. But anyway, another great game. And Penn picks up the win in overtime against their one of their hated Ivy League rivals. Another game out of the Ivy that ended up needing overtime to be decided. It was Harvard and Brown. Both teams are unranked here. Uh 
and, and as we've talked about before, the Ivy is never one to disappoint as it pertains to kicking the shit out of each other week in and week out. And this game kind of proved it. It was also fitting that this game needed overtime to be decided because the both of these teams over their last 10 meetings, they've been five and five. So they've been split. So it makes sense that we needed extra time to get a decision in this one. Harvard was down 15-14. They get a timeout with 18 seconds left in the game. Balls up in the top left corner if you're the goalie, top right corner if you're the midfielder here to start. Sam King, he starts with the ball. Uh, uh, Harvard was, or or, uh, Brown was playing a zone, I believe, at this point in the game. Uh, Sam King starts with the ball. He's got a shorty on him. He dodges straight pretty much from that corner down to the pipe. He does get a pick set for him. Didn't really do much, but it was enough. You know, he did get separation as he was dodging down. And as, as the shorty was passing him down to the adjacent pole, um, and now I'm going to lose my notes here. It was Teddy Malone who kind of snuck up from GLE on that left side. He scores. Uh, it took less than five seconds for the whole thing to go down. I, the way I just explained this, I'm, I'm going to end up rolling it like three times for you to see it because it was from 18 seconds down to 13 seconds remaining by the time they had scored, uh, and it was Teddy Malone. Now, overtime dragged out in a similar manner to the way this game dragged out and went back and forth and up and down with history hellbent on repeating itself in a bizarro fashion. This time it was Teddy Malone hitting King, who was sneaking up GLE on the other side of the field. King snuck it past the people's goalie for the win, barely got it past him. He scored it. He started celebrating, but even he had to kind of turn around and see what the officials were doing here. But goal was good. Harvard beats Brown, and uh, everybody in Harvard world is happy. If we look at the statistics on this one, Sam King, the sophomore, had a monster day. Great number, by the way, number seven here. Monster day. He goes four and three, seven points off just nine shots. Teddy Malone, four and two off six shots. Solid day. He actually had two forced turnovers as well, Malone did, in the riding game. Uh, let's see. What else we have here? For Brown, uh, Aiden McLean, 7-0. and That's a hell, of a, de- a hell of a day for McLean here. And uh, Matteo Corsi, 3-1. and And I don't know if both McLeans are playing here. But anyway, uh, we come down to the goalkeeping statistics here. Christian Bernard for Harvard makes only seven saves off 15 goals again. So he did not play well. Didn't matter. Harvard still ekes out the win. And Connor Theriault. The people's goalie, he makes 16 saves, 16 goals against here. Big story, though, here for Brown in keeping them in this action was Matthew Gunty winning 20 of 27 faceoffs. So for Harvard to be able to pull this game off, their goalie has a bad day. Their faceoff guy gets just absolutely destroyed on the day. I mean, it, it was ended up being 22 of 34. And then what did these guys have? But no, you know, only two turnovers. Yeah, they got destroyed. And so their goalie has a terrible day. Their face-off guy, terrible day. They still end up eking this out here thanks to King and Malone's big days here in terms of point production. Uh, hell of a game here. And we go to another one. Now, this one, not quite as solid of a game in terms of the score. Still, though, with the Ivy and, and, and as well as Cornell and Yale have played thus far this season, we got to talk about it. Yale, they jumped out to a two-zip lead to start the game, and things weren't looking too bad at home for that. But then things got really ugly, really ugly in front of their home crowd as Cornell went on an eight-goal run over the course of that quarter after going down two-zip. They go on an eight-goal run. C.J. Kirst scores unassisted with two seconds left in the quarter to cap that run off. For Cornell, the route was had thanks to a total team effort that included the Big Red offense taking advantage of and winning their one-on-one matchups. Uh, Five of those eight goals that were scored over that run were unassisted. Yale just had a hard time all day long marking Dodgers, winning those matchups. 
And then when they lost those matchups, they had a hard time covering the guy that uh, you know was kind of playing off ball, following his cut, uh, his man as he helped, and they were scoring goals all over the place. They also played bully ball, bully ball. They also played bully ball on defense. Now credit Dan Auburn at Dan underscore Auburn underscore uh, from Twitter here, and I'll, I'll show it here on the screen. He posted this on Twitter. Not sure who gets the video credit, but it was posted as if maybe Auburn was on the sideline and took this video himself. Uh, this 17-second clip shows you what it felt like to be on the offensive side of the ball for Yale yesterday, and it did not look at all like it was a whole lot of fun. Now, like I said, 20 to 10, nothing really uh, uh, to cover here in terms of the flow of the game other than Cornell went on two big runs here. You see they had an eight-goal run here to end the first quarter to take the lead 8-2. They give up a couple of goals to Yale. It ends up being 8-4, but then Cornell goes on a six-goal run between the second quarter and the third quarter. At that point, it's 14-4, and the route was absolutely on. Uh, if we look at Cornell, point production, Billy freaking Coyle, 2-6 and six on the day, eight points off four shots. Not bad. C.J. Kirst had five goals. Michael Long back in the lineup again playing. He's missed some time. He had three goals and a helper. Good to see him back in the lineup. Uh, so you see that they got it done here. If we look at takeaways, nothing crazy here except you see a bunch of guys scrapping defensively, all getting a takeaway. Even Chase Erlin's credited with one. Gavin Adler ended up having a... Uh, cause turnover and eight ground balls on the day. So a hell of a job by Adler. You saw him beating on people in that clip that I showed earlier. Uh, Leo Johnson, 3-0. Chris Lyons, 3-0. Not a whole lot of positives here. Matt Brandau held to four shots, one and one off those four shots here. And if we come down to probably the player of the game, you have to give it to Chase Erlin. I saw a headline on Inside Lacrosse. It talked about how Chase Erlin and some lockdown defense helped beat Yale. I wouldn't call what Cornell did defensively lockdown defense because anytime your goalie ends up having to put up 21 saves, you didn't necessarily lock down shit on the defensive side of the ball. What they did do was make Yale scrap and fight for everything they got. And uh, they contested shots. They beat people up after they took the shots. So a really physical effort from Cornell. Great effort across the board, and they did what they had to do to win this game by a large margin at that. But Chase Erlin and Cage making 21 stops here via the 31 that he faced. That's incredible. And uh, Jared Paquette, he's been good for Yale. He did not have a great day, a great game on this day because the Yale defense was atrocious. 11 saves against 20 goals against, but... You know, it happens here every once in a while. So Cornell, after losing uh, here, who'd Cornell lose to? I actually want to go see this now. Eh, we're not even, I don't even care. Who cares? We're going to move on to the next game. And the next game, now I'm going to talk about the two Friday games here. We're going to talk quickly. Duke put it on North Carolina. This game really wasn't quite as close as what it ended up looking like here, 15-8. to eight. Uh, Just kind of a bloodbath. You see Duke took a, what, 6-1-7-1-8-1 lead, actually, here uh, at some point in the second half. Dyson Williams had scored from Brendan O'Neill at that point. Carolina did go on a run. They do get back to within 9-8 to eight with 11-37 left in the third quarter, but then Duke finishes the game off uh, six straight goals, and they win 15-8. to eight. So, sorry, I, what, what happened with me, I started watching this game. I got to the point where it was either seven to one or eight to one. And then I ended up having, I watched a movie with the kids thinking, well, Duke's going to roll in this did not actually even watch this period here where I saw that North North Carolina did get back to within a goal uh, early in the third quarter. And then I came back in, I think somewhere in this area, because I remember seeing uh, Brennan O'Neill score 
And then I, it, once again, it was 13-8 at that point, and I stopped watching. So that that's how that rolled. If we go into the statistics here, North Carolina didn't get a whole lot of offensive production. Logan McGovern, the transfer from Bryant, he's con- I think that's where he's from. He He's continued to play well. Tillman and Matan each put up two goals, but it was all Duke. Brennan O'Neill, he goes one and four on the day off six shots. Dyson Williams had five goals off six shots. Garrett Ledman, who looks really dope with the lettuce, three and one. Uh, so Duke gets kind of a total team effort here. Colin Krieg had a rough day in cage, eight saves for Carolina uh, versus 15 goals against. And William Helm, the D3 transfer from, is it St. Lawrence? 14 saves, eight goals against. He wins the goalie battle. They win the game. I do give credit. No, I don't. I was almost going to give credit to some of the faceoff guys, but Naso here, he goes 16 to 25 on the day, picks up eight GBs and has a goal. So Naso has become a serious problem for everybody that has to play Duke. I figured Naso was going to be, be able to beat up on, uh, uh, what's his name, Tyre here. Uh, and that did happen. Tyre did manage to score a goal, though. So, hey, credit to him on that front. But anyway, Duke has been playing really good lacrosse. I got to sit down later today and do my poll. Assuming Notre Dame wins, I think I've got Notre Dame at number one is what's going to end up happening here. Probably Maryland at number two, and then we'll have Duke sneaking right in there behind them at number three is what's going to happen. But they've been playing really good. Let's see if we can look at their schedule. They lost that that third game of the season to Jacksonville, but since then they've beat Denver in overtime. They beat Penn when Penn was number eight, at least by the poll they're using here. They beat Syracuse in overtime when Syracuse was 20. They route Loyola, who was number seven at the time, and now they beat number 14, North Carolina. So Dukes beat a lot of good teams since losing to Jacksonville early in the season. Another one, and this one wasn't quite as exciting. Uh, You know, it was a decent game here late, and then Hopkins used a 4-2 fourth quarter to pull away and beat Navy. Who scored the dagger here? It ended up being the, what was the eventual game winner? What was the score here? Oh, okay. So the eventual game winner, I'm such a moron. Jack uh, uh, Flaherty, hey, you know, I'm guessing he's Irish and fitting on St. Patrick's Day, uh, assisted by Henry Tolker. Uh, oh, that was by Navy, actually. That got Navy back to within one here. It was Matt Collison. Matt Collison had a good game. I, I've become a huge fan <coughs> of the freshman Matt Collison. I'm not going to try to talk game flow anymore for this one since I already butchered it and we're two days away from it. Brendan Grimes, he goes one and two for Hopkins. The freshman Matt Collison, also one and two for Hopkins. Jacob Angelis, he's 0 and three. So Hopkins, once again, as they've done so far this season, they get scoring deep into their roster. I think they go nine deep in terms of their points. And Navy, Navy's mixing guys up. They've got guys playing that, that, Shouldn't be playing a lot of young guys playing for Navy right now. So Navy's beat up all over the place here. But uh, Mac Haley, he ends up with three goals in this one. And if we come down and we look at Tim Marcel's day, 13 saves, nine goals against Hopkins is glad to have Marcel back for the last hand, a couple of games and uh, playing well in cage for them all season so far. Pat Ryan, not a terrible job here for Navy either. Uh, Hopkins got roached at the faceoff dot. So they needed all they got from from uh, Marcel on the day, but we're going to stop talking about this one. Uh, This one here, Penn State and Marquette, number five Penn State. Penn State had been playing as well as anyone coming into this one here. They did lose to Villanova early, their second game of the season, but since then they beat Stony Brook, eh, but then they beat Yale, 
They beat Penn. They beat Cornell, the Ivy League killers. So I'm thinking here, coming into Marquette, they're probably going to beat Marquette as well as they're playing. And uh, they're playing at home nonetheless. Not so. Marquette ends up beating them 12-11. to 11. Total team effort out of Marquette up and down the field. And if we come down here in terms of goalie saves, what did we get here? Uh, Neo, nothing huge out of the goalies. Let's go back up, and it was face-offs. I know they, they did a great job at the face-off dot. Yep, Grant Evans, 10 of 13 at the face-off dot for Marquette. Luke Williams, 9 of 14 at the face-off dot for Marquette. That team, they put up 10 ground balls between the two of them as well, and Grant Evans had a goal on this one. So that was a huge factor in this win overall. Limit Penn State's production in terms of the face-off dot, win the bulk of those draws, and then you end up having a chance to win the game because you got a metric shit ton of possessions. I believe ground balls factored in this one. Yep, ground uh, uh, Marquette out ground balls Penn State 34-28. to 28. Now, a lot of that's probably thanks to the face-off dot wins and things like that. I forget which game it was where ground balls factored heavily. Maybe it was the Army game where ground balls factored heavily. But Marquette does go two of six uh, in their man-up opportunities. That also helps them. Let's see how that played out coming down to it. Uh, yeah, they get uh, they get a man-up. They're, they're up. They take that 12-9 lead that pretty much buried Penn State off a man-up goal. Devin Cohen unassisted on a man-up goal. That's always weird when you see an unassisted goal on a man-up goal. But anyway, Penn State now drops to 5-2. and two. That was a very disappointing loss for them because, you know, with Virginia losing and, you know, all these other teams winning, you kind of almost could have pushed everybody that was in the top five up and maybe even bumped Virginia down a little bit, although uh, maybe not. But anyway, terrible, terrible loss, and now Penn State's got to roll. I think Penn State – here's the kicker with uh, the two of the most disappointing losses within the, the top five here is Virginia loses to Maryland, and now Virginia has to play number then number two but soon to be number one Notre Dame here next week. And I believe Penn State loses this game here, and now they got to go in and play Maryland, I believe it is, next week. So we'll see how that goes, but two of the top – you know, teams that lost now have to go out and face killers in the very following week. In the in the following week, uh, this one, Loyola and Bucknell came right down to the wire as well. And as we see here, things were here. What was this? Oh, this was just a case of Bucknell trying to get back within it late here. Uh, Loyola took a fourteen to twelve lead in the fourth. Seth, Seth Higgins from Davis Lindsay fourteen twelve Loyola, and then. Um, Bucknell got one back late. That was a really rough fourth quarter here, though. Not a whole lot of action across the fourth quarter in this game. We dive into it statistically for Loyola. Matthew Minicus, the freshman. Isn't Minicus the freshman? Let us see here. Yes. And I've said this early in the season when we talked about Loyola a couple of times as they were winning games early and after they beat Maryland, that these freshmen, if they could keep playing you know, above and beyond what they're actually, you know, don't play like you're wearing diapers uh, pretty much because you're just a baby. And Minicus here, seven goals and a helper against Bucknell in this win. So he has a monster game. We come down and see what Stout did. Luke Stout and Cage, 14 saves, 13 goals against. And uh, this is despite Bucknell winning 19 to 30 draws overall. So took everything that Loyola had to kind of eat this one out, but a hell of a game by Matthew Minicus in this one. Not... A good game uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Undefeated, then number two, or now number two, but soon to be number one, Notre Dame. They beat up on Michigan badly. The Kavanaugh brothers, Pat Kavanaugh, he goes four and six. Chris Kavanaugh, he goes three and oh. Eric Dobson, big boy midfielder, he goes two and one on the day. 
Goalie battle, Liam Entman wins the goalie battle by a lot. Shane Carr hasn't been bad for Michigan in net. He was not very good here against Notre Dame. The teams have a really hard time with Notre Dame because they do so much close into the cage. They do a lot of off-ball a lot of dodges that lead to a second dodge after a slide comes with easy finishes. No one's as good, I think, at getting easy looks uh, so far this season as Notre Dame has been overall. Entman, though, you know, really solid, always solid. 11 saves against just six goals against. And at the faceoff dot, let's see what Notre Dame did here. Just enough here. Nick Rowlett, he wins 9 of 15. Justin Wheatfield, uh, he goes 11 of 14. So pretty much Notre Dame gets waxed at the faceoff dot between Lynch and Hagstrom. But, you know, they still win the game because they're a lot better, a lot better than Michigan is overall. And like I said, Notre Dame has Virginia coming up here in their next contest. Uh, Rutgers and UMass, not an exciting game here. Dante Coolis has become one of my favorite midfielders running around, especially as a young guy, Canadian, 2-2 two and two on the day off eight shots. Uh, Eric Savetti, he goes 2-0. and oh. Ross Scott, 2-0. and oh. And what I like so far about this Rutgers team is Ross Scott's their returning leading scorer, but he hasn't had to do too much here. You look, and, and this has surprised me because I thought Rutgers was going to be hurting a little bit on offense. I thought they would end up leaning heavily on Ross Scott, and they haven't had to. Dante Coolis has been an incredible surprise for Rutgers, 22-8 and eight so far this season. Ross Scott, 22-7, their leading scorer, not even their leading scorer at this, at this point. Uh, Coolis, I think, scored the game-winning goal last week. Brian Cameron, 20 and 9. Shane Knobloch, 9 and 12. Uh, you know, David's all the way down here to David Sprock is a killer. He's, you know, came back from an injury and everything like that, but he hasn't put up a ton of points. But you look at the offensive production that Rutgers is getting to go with a solid defense, a gritty defense, and then in cage. I think I said this at one point, they'll go as far as Kyle Mullen can take them. I think Rutgers is going to be good all year. It's just Kyle Mullen ends up having to be tough in cage. He's a good goalie. He's just a little bit streaky thus far. Uh, but Mullen, not streaky at all against UMass here. 71% between the pipes. 12 saves against just five goals against. He wins the goalie battle slightly because Matt Note for UMass ends up, with, ends up with 20 saves on the day. So imagine if Matt Note is just 50%, then this route is a little bit worse here overall. And then at the faceoff dot, Jonathan Dugenio and Joe Newman, they combine to win, you know, better than 50% as uh, Caleb Hammett. Caleb Hammett goes 10 of 20, baby, with six GBs. You know, he's got all the Riz, running around with all the Riz on the field, but UMass still can't win the game. So that is that. But, yeah, you got to love Caleb and the level of uh, – drip that he has that he's rocking at any on any given day and uh, i'm just showing my age i'm such a moron here uh st john's gets beat up a little bit by st joseph 16 10 st joseph's takes this one here levi anderson eight and two matt bomer four and oh so uh their top two dogs get things done for them how are they coming in here scoring thus far overall levi anderson the midfielder 23 and eight matt bomer 13 and 10 you know, so they're getting a lot of scoring here. All of these guys are upperclassmen. So if you look at it, I mean, this is their shot to get back into the tournament again and do some damage because come next year, they're going to lose the guys that are their top two scorers here at this moment, I believe. Uh, I think they also lose Tucker Brown, who's been solid. Uh, a great midfield unit, though, here. They got great middies, a great mix of midfield and attack uh, end up beating people up for St. Joseph's. But they take this one in terms of the goalie damage. You know, nothing special. Overall here out of the goalies, although Kyle Munson, he did play pretty decent for St. John's to just make sure they don't get their dicks kicked in D three action here. Now, RIT played back to back games here. So Friday night, 
They're undefeated. They're playing Christopher Newport at Christopher Newport, and they end up, or it's not really at Christopher Newport. I think this may have been, uh, is this part of the class, whatever the, the, um, I forget what the, 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 I can't even talk right now, man. Am I having a stroke? Am I okay? Is my face straight here? Anyway, moral of the story, RIT loses to Christopher Newport Friday night, uh, 15 to 11. Ends up being here. Christopher Newport comes back from behind. They score four of the game's last five goals to win this one. And actually, they weren't behind at that time here. They were up 11 to 10. RIT had gotten back to within 11 to 10 before Christopher Newport then scored four of the next five goals to ice it. And they win 15 to 11 overall. We look at it for RIT. Uh, Clifford Gaston, he goes six and one, seven points off seven shots. That's a hell of a job here. But if you kind of come down, they just didn't get a whole lot of depth in scoring. We come down here for Christopher Newport. Andrew Cook goes six and one off eight shots. Uh, Kobe Oslander, he goes three and two off seven shots. Drew Miller, four assists. Brett Jackson, three goals. Hell of a job here overall. Christopher Newport mercs the faceoff dot. They go 18 of 23. It's actually Warner uh uh, Cabanis, Cabanis, 18 of 23, and uh, that helped them a great deal here, obviously. And then goalkeeping, oh my God, Kyle Burbank. I don't even know if this is a real stat. Three saves against 15 goals against. I would hope that's not a real stat line because if it is, you'd almost assume they would have put like, you know, the, a garbage can in the cage at that point. That is a rough outing there for Kyle Burbank. I don't expect that he'll play that poorly again the rest of the game. Again, like I said, is that even. A real stat line. Uh, let's see. Yeah, he's pretty streaky here. You look at this. Against Bates, 22% in cage. Uh, against Christopher Newport, 16% in cage here. So he he has a, a tendency, I guess, to to play down and play rough. But anyway, hell of a job for by Christopher Newport picking up the win. Like I said, RIT did come back and win the following day. Mustang Classic. Is that where they're playing? Was this one of the games that was being played at the Mustang Classic? I would assume so. Anyway. They did pick up a win yesterday, so they're back in the win column, but they number one did get toppled. They will not be number one, I presume, when the polls come out here uh, later tonight or tomorrow. Another D3 game here, we had Gettysburg, who was number two at the time that this game was played. They get upset by Denison. If we come down here, we've got a tie game. No, we don't. I keep saying that. I hate it when I assume a one-goal game at one point was a tie game. It was not. Denison had a two-goal lead here before giving up the final goal of the game to make it a little bit closer here. Uh, so let's see what Denison did for the statistics in this one. Gettysburg, Ethan Kessler, Aiden Wyckoff, they each go 2-1 and one in this loss. And it is Luke Fisher, 3-3, three and three, 6 points off 9 shots. Ethan Tyak, 1-2. and two. Uh, So they both have a hell of a game. Important stat here, though, for Denison in this upset was the faceoff dot. Uh, Colin McLean, he goes 5-6 of six on the day. And then Grant Larson takes the bulk of the draws. He goes 13-17 of 17 on the day. In total, that gives Denison 18 of the 23 draws. They win that battle. They end up winning this game by one goal. Just eked it out here. Goalkeeper for Denison also played great. Archer Derrick, he goes for 15 saves against, nine goals against. And Gettysburg did not get very good goalkeeping on their side of it. So Denison beats number two. Gettysburg. D1 act or D2 action, number one Lemoyne against number nine St. Anselm. And Lemoyne ends up needing a four to one fourth quarter to pull the one goal win out here. Lemoyne at one point was down seven five late in the third quarter after Nick Larson scored for um for St. Anselm. I forgot here. Uh that gave them that uh what do I say here? Seven five lead. 
And then LeMoyne goes on to score four of the game's next five goals over the course of the fourth quarter. The game winner coming with 35 seconds left in the game. Kyle Caves on a dish from Seth Benedict. And uh, number one, LeMoyne is able to hold on and remain undefeated. St. Anselm, Jack Andrews, three goals on the day. And then if we come down here to LeMoyne, Ethan Loon, uh, is it Loun or Loon? Probably Loun. Ethan Loun, three goals. Isaac Frechette. Great name, Isaac Frechette. Had a buddy, last name Frechette, so I'm almost positive I pronounced that correctly. Uh, two goals on the day. Faceoff dot was split, but the goalkeeping, eh. Both goalies had solid days here. David Olson, he ends up getting the win despite having, you know, a slightly lower say. Oh, no, he got the L because I forgot. Lemoyne won. So, yeah. Goalie that had the slightly better save percentage ends up winning this one, and LeMoyne remains undefeated, and they will remain number one. And that is it. I have talked enough for this day here. It's a little bit, I got a little bit of a late start, so this won't even be uploaded and, and officially available to watch on YouTube until probably about noon. Um, so be, I didn't, I was sick. I was sick. I did not do the Wednesday show. I apologize. There was no way I could pull that off here. Uh, today, I'm feeling much better. Five pounds trimmer. I don't know if you can tell, but I did lose five pounds over the course of that sickness. So that's it. I'm going to shut the hell up. I will be back Wednesday to do the preview show. We'll talk about some games that are being played today. Got a lot of good games being played today as well. Hopefully, I can win a couple of bets and not be a big loser because my DraftKings account is just about back to zero again. Because I got absolutely thrashed. I had Virginia in a couple of parlays the, where I had them covering uh, the spread against Maryland. I think they just needed to cover, what, two goals or something like that. And uh, so those killed a couple of my parlays. And I just did absolute shit yesterday in terms of betting. Uh, so as always, you can go to laxfactor.com. Support us that way. If you have team gear that you need, uh, you can get a request to quote. Uh, we do uniform shorts, reversibles, shooters all that crap. And as always, you can come here, you can see our videos, watch the podcast, listen to the audio podcast, get yourself a Lax Factor podcast t-shirt or just a random lacrosse t-shirt. We got the Garden Gnomes t-shirt. We got a lacrosse dog t-shirt. We try to do the trendy shit. We got the Band of Brothers t-shirt, all that crap. Support us that way, but that's it. I'm going to shut the hell up. Come back Wednesday for Wednesday show and Hoost is out. Lax Factor. The Lax Factor Podcast.